Let me tell you about Monkey's Surf Resort in the Telos Islands. We have an amazing special running at the moment. Two-for-one deal, 50% off all trips staying at the Monkey's Resort from July through December 2021 when booking two surfer packages. Monkey'sResort.com for all the info. Here's the deal with Indonesia right now. There's hardly any Australians there. There's hardly any Brazilians there. It's basically empty. If you have the opportunity to go surf in that region, now is the time to do it. You need to take advantage. I've always said the best time to go on a surf trip is during an earthquake or a coup, or in this case, a pandemic, because there's nobody there. Monkey Surf Resort offering two-for-one deal, 50% off all trips, staying at Monkey's from July through December when booking two surfer packages. Monkeysresort.com. The Boardroom Surfboard Show is coming September 25 and 26 of 2021 at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. It is the surfboard manufacturing industry's trade show. This year, honoring icon of foam Pat Rawson, featuring seminars by BoardShaper.com, an incredible How It's Made exhibit presented by Douglas Surf Company, the Best in Show presented by Zio Baffa Wines, the California Gold Surf Auction, live music, board giveaways, and much, much more. The Boardroom Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks. September 25 and 26, 2021, the Boardroom Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks. Check out boardroomshow.com for more information. One more thing to tell you about, the Headstock Guitar Lovers Festival. Imagine a hall filled with epic guitars, gear, amps, accessories, all centered around a live music stage. Headstock, the Guitar Lovers Festival. Luthiers, musicians, fellow guitarists, everyone that loves music, all under one roof. November 6th and 7th in San Diego, California. Headstock Guitar Lovers Festival, November 6th and 7th in San Diego, California. More information can be found at guitarloversfestival.com. John Pizel, shaper to the Florence brothers and a whole host of red hot North Shore surfers and frankly, red hot surfers on all coasts. John's ghost family of boards, including the ghost, the shadow, the phantom and the gremlin are red hot sellers at the local surf shops. And I see him in the water everywhere. And oh, by the way, I own one and I love it. John's a classical craftsman figure in that he started out in ding repair, surrounded by older, smarter craftsmen, and he soaked it all up. Now, decades later, he's one of the top shapers in the surfboard manufacturing industry. On this episode of the Boardroom Podcast, John Pizel, let us begin. John Pizel, welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. Good morning, buddy. Good morning. How are you? 
what time is it? 11 there? It's 11, yeah. All right. What kind of vitamins are you taking? Oh, it's, um, my wife is really, uh, I take a lot of different like mineral supplements and stuff. And, uh, I just, whatever she gives me, it's a handful. <laughs> yeah. She's really. She's really interested in like mineral balancing and all these different things. Like, um, she does stuff where you take a hair, you, you, you get a hair sample and you get it analyzed and cool. then you can read that information and determine where you're, what you're missing or what you're, what you need or what you don't need and how things work together. And she's pretty smart. So wow. awesome. yeah, that's fascinating. And so do you have I, to take hair samples like monthly to, to determine no, if you, no, you can do, you can do it one time or whatever, what she got interested in it. It's like some people will get their blood samples taken. And, yeah. um, but a blood sample is like very, like what's happening today right now in your body. Yeah. Whereas a hair sample is more of like a long-term view. And, yeah. um, when she did mine the first time it was radical because my mercury levels were just like off the charts from eating a lot of big fish, yeah. um, throughout my life and a lot of poke and like a lot of ahi. Yeah. And within three months she got me on these different supplements in my my uh my mercury levels were down by 50 percent wow in three months which is pretty phenomenal and did you stop eating fish or were you eating the same quantities I, of fish I, no i lightened up a lot but that stuff's more of like a cumulative thing it's not like uh it's mm -hmm. not like oh i stopped eating fish this week and now i don't have mercury right. um so i think like there's a combination of things anyways wow i'm done with the vitamins for today she's out of town i'm running out of vitamins uh-oh could be trouble <laughs> what about what about the um i'm drinking a cup of coffee right now so what about your coffee intake what's your caffeine intake like i i do a um i have daily one coffee in the morning one big cup of coffee yeah and it's it is <laughs> i'm super i'm super caffeine sensitive i'm like a i'm sugar and caffeine sensitive like i get really i get real up from stuff mm -hmm. and um so I try to limit myself to like one big cup of coffee a day. And then unbeknownst to me a while ago, my wife goes, Hey, uh, just so you know, for the last month, you've been drinking half calf. Really? <laughs> she, she switched me to half calf coffee. Like she, cause we grind our own coffee. Yeah. And so she was making these like half caffeinated, half decaf and um, it's good. So I, I try to kind of keep it at that. Sometimes I have a little afternoon pick me up iced yeah. tea or coffee or something, but. I get pretty jacked up on coffee. Yeah. My friends will all attest to that. Like I'm a coffee spaz. Well, what about like um, the afternoon monster or Red Bull thing? Like that sugar drink. Will no. you go there at all? No, no, yeah. never. Yeah. I hate that stuff. I'll yeah. have like an iced tea. It's probably like a mate or whatever, you know, herb, uh -huh. right. herb mate. I'll Does have one of those. That? If I have one of those, I get pretty jacked. Like I have like trouble sleeping. <laughs> Yeah, right. I found that too. What do you do when you wake up at two in the morning? How do you get yourself back to sleep? I, I read. Yeah. I like, I, I do that a lot. It's funny. I have kind of like, I go through stages where I wake up in the morning like that. And then I'll read for 15 or 20 minutes and fall asleep. Well, and I, then I go up, through stages. Where I do good. I'm just like good sleeper. No problem. So what, what is it? Why do you think you wake up? I don't know. I feel like it's usually when I have like a lot going on in my life and then yeah. It's literally like subconsciously I'm like stressing or maybe not yeah. stressing, but just like, oh, I got things I'm thinking about. It's not necessarily bad stuff. Yeah. Just like 
things, you know? Yeah. I've got a few projects going on right now. So I'm like, I got a lot on my, on my mind, I guess. What do you got going on? Um, I'm just building like a little glass shop. It's really not that big a deal. Um, but a small glass shop over here to start doing like more epoxy boards and some different stuff where we've done, um, we always, we farm out all our glassing. We don't have our own like in-house glassing anywhere. And so this is the first time we've done that in a long time. And, um, but I'm kind of building a, I took a building that was a roof and a slab and there's no, there's no walls. Yeah. So it's like kind of a blank, blank slate. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm building that. I'm not physically building it. I did some work already. I laid some, some tiles and some stuff. (laughs) Oh, rad. Yeah, it's been so fun. That is a big it's a, deal. That's a big deal for you. I mean, that's there's yeah, a, I'm excited. Why there's a little bit of I don't want to say anxiety, but there's a, yeah, there's excitement. Yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, exactly. But I'm thinking like, uh, what materials do I need to buy? What do these guys need? What time are they getting to work? Or what's going on? Or whatever. Yeah. But nothing bad. No, that's all good. That sounds great. And what area of Oahu is that? That is in Wailua, like right on the North Shore, just outside of Haleiwa, the Wailua Sugar Mill, where. Yeah. Like that's where our main factory is or mm-hmm. our main, our, our Hawaii based factory. And, yeah. um, I've been in there for 10 years, 12 years or something. And, and, um, so I just found another space right next to our shop. There's actually just this, like literally a slab with like a, it was like a giant carport, basically like a 1200 square foot carport with a bunch of crap that had been stored in it for like 20 years mm-hmm. and, um, talked to the landlords and they're like, yeah, you can rent that we'll clear it out for you. And then you just have to build everything. Cool. Yeah. It's exciting. 20 minute, 15 minute drive from my house. Yeah. Are you, are you looking at Rocky? Yeah. I'm looking at Rocky rights right now out the window actually. Oh, good for you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm stoked. I've been, we've been renting this little house at Rocky point for like about 14 years now. And, um, it's pretty great. Are you just down from, if you're looking at Rocky rights, you must be near, the Jones's house. Yeah, there are two houses. Uh, there are two houses towards Haleiwa from me. Cool. I'm two houses towards Sunset from them. Right. So you can peek at the lefts too. <laughs> yeah, I can see the lefts if I walk out on my little picnic table in my yard, and then I just look out my window. I can see the rights. There's a. It's actually like head high right now, a little bit overhead and glassy, and there's no one going right. That sounds like fun, dude. Yeah, there's been fun waves. We got like a little swell yesterday. It's been pretty, it's beautiful. Good what's Sunday. The, uh, what's speaking of this, the Wailua area and the surfboard manufacturing industry and in, in Oahu, What's what's sort of the state of the union, if you will, or what's how's business? How how's business on the North Shore or on Oahu in general regarding surfboard building? I think. Um, I think it's good for everyone. Like as far as I can see, uh, like I said, I use like outside glassing. So we have like a couple different glass shops, just two shops that we work with mostly. Um, and those guys, when I walk in there, like one of the shops is right by mine. Yeah. And w- I walked in there the other day and like, they do a lot of our boards. They do 50% of our boards here on Oahu. And, um, and at the same time I walked in and like, every single one of their laminating racks had somebody else's boards on it the other day when I walked in, which, which to me is like, that's a great sign. You know what I mean? Like it means like everyone's doing good and everyone's, everyone wants boards glassed and you know, they're not glassing my boards. That kind of sucks that day. But um, they assured me that 
the next day was going to be all my words. <laughs> but uh, no, it's good. I, I think everyone's kind of doing as good as they've done from what I understand and uh, yeah. on all accounts, you know, so it's pretty epic. Well, building out a new glassing facility like you're doing, um, it suggests that first you've got labor, you've got guys that can actually step in and start laminating for you. Yeah. Which has been a situation here in California. There's been a real struggle to find labor. What's it like there? Um, for me, it's funny because over the years, I get a lot of people like messaging me or, or hitting me up asking for jobs like, hey, and from around the world, like mm -hmm. um, I'll get random, like a guy from France, like, hey, I'd love to come stay on the North Shore this winter and work. And I, I'm a good sander. Or I'm a good laminator or whatever. And I'm always, I kind of just like, oh, well, I can't really help you. I don't have a shop, first of all. And like, my, I always tell them like, hey, if you want a job, be here. Don't like, it, yeah. you're not, no one's going to hire a guy from France if he's yeah. in France. You know what I mean? If you yeah. walk into a shop and go, hey, I'm here. Want to? I'll, I'll sand a board for you and you can look at it. That's a whole different story. So yeah. I was kind of like, sorry, you know, sorry. And then now it's like kind of changed around where I actually put, I just posted on my Instagram on like my story. I'm all, Hey, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm going to try to start a glass shop or do something. Or like, does someone want to start a glass shop? Like just basically I'm like, I need more boards to get done. Yeah. Does anybody have any ideas? You know, I kind of just threw it out there. Yeah. And um, this friend of mine that I've known for years and years, that's like, I call him like a mercenary laminator, like a mercenary glasser. Like he, he kind of just travels different places and all work. And he's a really good, talented guy. Who's that? Uh, name, uh, his name's Chris Culpin. You, uh -huh. you might know him. Everybody kind of seems to know him. Yeah, it actually and, uh, sounds very familiar, Chris. He's he's an East Coast guy. He's from Virginia Beach, mm -hmm. and um, but he, and he's a really good surfer. And anyways, he he hit me up immediately. He's like, dude, I'll move there right now. You know, he's like, I'm in Florida. <laughs> I'm, I'm he's all. I just have to sell my car. Like literally, he's just like. I'm all hold on. Like, I don't even have a shop or any idea what's going on. I didn't even have like the space yet. You know, I was just kind of like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to manifest this situation. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, it's working out that he, he came right away, but he got work at the places that are already glassing my boards. Cause he's, yeah. he knows those guys. And they said, Hey, anytime you come to Hawaii, we got work for you. So he showed up. It happened to work out perfectly for his timing of like what was going on in his life. And, yeah. um, he was like on a plane two weeks later, he's got in a, like a studio apartment on the point at sunset. He's got yeah. surfboards. He's like, he's set, you know, Killer. And so he, Killer. he's just waiting for my, our shop to be done and he can start working. And he's a guy that can do completes. He can do start to finish boards and he's really good with epoxy. Yeah. Um, so, so that's my like kind of cornerstone starting point and I'll work around that. Cool. So you, it's pretty you've, funny, got, yeah. you've got labor more or less. You've got some labor in Chris and yeah. And he's talented. And I've got, uh, I've been working with also, uh, Jeff Johnston, the shaper. Yeah. Um, he's like an incredible shaper and has so much, he's actually an amazing glasser yeah. and he has like all this really gnarly epoxy knowledge and like all this crazy, he's just an incredible craftsman. Yeah. And, um, he's been actually doing a lot of our team epoxy boards for us. And he, all of a sudden he's like, I'll, I'll glass a couple boards for you. You know, like let's, let's try it out and see what happens. Yeah. And, um, and his work is just incredible. And his, like the resource, like his brain is just so full of knowledge about what, how to do different things, different ways as yeah. far as glassing goes. And um, so we've been, I've been working with him and he has a really small little shop 
And so the same thing I told him like, Hey, I'll build the shop and you can come and work in it and do whatever you want. You know, like it's, it's yours to use. Yeah. And, um, and he knows Chris. So those guys can kind of work together and he can maybe pass on some of his information to Chris and help him get better at stuff too, which is cool. Cool. That whole transfer of knowledge amongst craftsmen in that industry is fascinating, right? I mean, Jeff Johnson's a treasure. Like, oh, he's, I mean, he's almost just yeah. like his worth is weight in gold. Like the no, stuff he, that he's going to teach. It blows my mind. Like when I talk to him and he's like, well, you could do this. And he just starts like breaking down ideas. I literally write like on the glassing schedule, like for the, the order sheets, I just mm-hmm. go, you do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I want it to weigh this much. Like we go by weights and stuff, you know, I want it to be like sub five pounds and, um, but not under four and three quarter pounds. And I want it to not buckle on you know, the first session or whatever it is, you know, yeah. different things for different guys in different places. But, uh, he's just like, he's unbelievable. So it's been really cool learning from him. I've known him forever, but to get him to get to know him more on like, a like the building surfboard level has yeah. been really amazing for me. I've been super stoked and lucky. He's an awesome well, guy. This is exciting times for you. I mean, it's also, I mean, it's not really, um, I mean, it's a new thing for you. It's a new venture. You're basically going to be managing a glass shop on some level. Well, let's, let's just put it into perspective. Like it's a tiny little glass shop, you know, it's right. going to have right. eight racks, a, a sanding room. There's hopefully like ideally I won't have more than like three people working in there. Yeah. Um, I don't, I want to have a sander, a laminator and maybe a, a hot coder. Even if I can the least, I want the least amount of people there possible. Yeah. I got you. And uh, I've had my own glass shops, like my personal glass shops in the past. Yeah. Like yeah. when I was, when I started building boards, I didn't just, I wasn't just a shaper. Like I was a glasser yeah. before I ever even shaped a board. Yeah. So I can laminate, I can hot coat, I can sand, I can do all that. And um, so I have a good perspective on that. And it, I'm kind of excited to actually jump back in there and like laminate, like do my own boards and stuff like that too, which is, I really cool. enjoy it when I'm not doing it like every day for a work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a pretty well, tell me about, a nice thing. Where did you cut your chops laminating and sanding? Somewhere in Santa Barbara, right? No, I didn't actually. It's funny. Um, I never really, I never worked in any kind of surfboard industry in Santa Barbara. Um, I was always uh, just, I was around resin, like through yeah. my dad. My dad has a sailboat. We've had boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he's had actually the same boat my whole life. But um so he was always like working with resin, doing stuff. And then I started learning how to like fix my own dings, just little basic stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I was always around shapers through Matt Moore yeah. and, and, and Hamish Graham in uh, California. But when I came to Hawaii, when I was 23 and 92, I, um, I had not made any money making, I hadn't done anything in the surfboard industry, you know? Yeah. And um, so I started, <laughs> Funny enough, I really just started breaking boards. So I was here with, with like, I brought seven boards with me to Hawaii that um, Hamish Graham had shaped for me. Yeah. And, um, and I started breaking boards and I was totally poor as could be. So I was, I had to fix my own boards, you know, either breaking them or dinging them or whatever. And um, I found uh, Ed Surfoss at Country Surfboards, which was this incredible spot right across the street from Sunset Beach. Like yeah. you could walk down the driveway and you're in the parking lot at sunset. And um, Ed would sell me resin and let me use his shop. 
and I could fix my own dings, you know? So I'd go in there and like, either it was a buckled board or I broke a lot of boards. I'd even, you know, back that was in the days when you actually fixed a broken board and rewrote it. You know, yeah. nowadays yeah. you're just like, ah, oh, things done. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> eventually Ed, basically I was going in there so much. Ed's just like, well, you know, you're here, just fix this guy's board too. You know, you're doing a pretty <laughs> good job on your boards. Literally. Like he's like, why don't you just, instead of just paying me, why don't you just fix this and I'll split the money with you, you know? And, and that frankly, was Ed's a, Ed's a legend. I mean, did you, did Absolutely. you get some knowledge transferred from him? Did you get the chance for him to go, Hey John, why don't you try it like this? Or do like, did you pick up anything from Ed? Uh, I did over the years for sure. In the beginning, I was, I was pretty reasonably skilled at ding repair just from fixing my own stuff over the years. Yeah. Um, learning how to like use a bigger grinder and different sounding stuff. Definitely. I, I, I don't remember exactly how it came about, but it was like, I definitely got some tips, you know? And yeah. then I had some sort of a affinity for it. I don't know who really has an affinity for fixing dings. It's like kind of the worst job in the industry where <laughs> you, you first you get sloppy with sticky resin and then you go sanding things and get dusty on that sloppy sticky resin afterwards, you know? It's like you're doing everything in one like two hour little binge. You but, know what's um, funny though is that like when I roll into a ding place here in California, if you yeah. just show up with a ding, it's like seventy five dollars minimum oh. to even look at your little small little ding. You it's know? incredible like, they're kind of now. It. No, it's unbelievable, and they've got you over a barrel. They know exactly. They're like, "Well, what are you going to do? Fix it at home?" You're just like, "No, here, <laughs> take my money." <laughs> I think. The guys here now, there's a guy, uh, my friend Dano does this dinger pair down at the sugar mill and yeah. he's like, he charges a lot, but at the same time, his boards, they, he does a good job and he does it in a timely manner. That's yeah. like the number one thing in a ding guy. Yeah. Like I started working for Ed. I remember, <laughs> I remember one time I was, I was fixing dings for him and he, he called me one morning and he's like, Hey, um, there's, I got a customer here. He's looking for his longboard. And I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. What, what's it look like? You know, it was kind of chaos in there. And yeah. uh, he's like, Oh, it's got like whatever orange stripes and this and that. And I'm like, I just look out in my yard and that thing's in my yard. I've been <laughs> borrowing it and surfing it, you know, <laughs> this guy, I was like, that thing had been there for like six months or something, you know? And finally I'm like, I don't, I need a lot. I'm going to go longboarding. Like I'm taking this board. And then they're ironically, like the one day I had it, the guy shows up to pick it up, you know, after six months or whatever oh. it was. And I just remember, I'm like, yeah, um, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> you know? I'll That's be right funny. there. I, I, I think I know where it is. Uh, I'll, I'll grab it. You know, just tell him to wait, wait down outside or something. But uh, yeah, it was funny. But so Ed, yeah, Ed gave me a lot of far as far as like he let me working there I started making money and you do make pretty good money fixing yeah. things if you want to and um and yeah he was awesome and it was like a little family he had all it, it, there was all kinds of different guys actually some of my friends I'm still great friends with to this day are people I met there yeah um one of the guys that was a sander there when I was there is he sands my board still today he works at this other shop that I was just talking about and he's like the head sander there and I, I see him Brian? every day you know no, this is a different guy's name's Charlie. Oh yeah. Uh, Brian King is another situation. He's another glasser. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's too busy right now to even deal with me, so it's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. But well, Ed was cool. So he he gave me all a uh, he gave me a lot, and then I started finning. I went from ding repair to I learned how to fin and hot coat. That was back when 
there was glass on. Yeah. And so he, he, that's kind of the next step up the ladder, I think in the glassing world is like hot coating. Yeah. So I was putting in leash plugs, hot coating, putting on fins, glassing fins on hot coating. And then, um, I never, I never laminated for Ed, but I started laminating like my own boards as I slowly, that's where I started shaping really slowly. I not, not for Ed, but just, he let me use a shaping room. Yeah. And, um, so as I, my glassing career progressed through, uh, just doing my own boards. And then eventually I started working for other people. I worked for Brett Mar- uh, Marmoto. I was his laminator for a while. Yeah. Um, and then I actually finally got like my own glass shop, like little glass shop up in Pupake in someone's backyard. Right. And um, did all my own, like I would glass, I would shape and glass all my boards. I didn't sand. I'd have a sander. Yeah. But um, I was a laminator and hot coder. Were you doing other guys' boards too, or just yours? No. When once I got my own shop, I just did all my own boards. Yeah. And, and as, um, as far as shaping cool. though, who like, I mean, so you're in Ed's place, and you're you're kind of, you know, in the middle of this kind of hotbed of of energy. At some point, you know, you've got a planer in your hand, and somebody must have given you some ideas and some templates, uh, or like, who is the who was no the one, guiding light there early on for you? There was, well, before I even came over to Hawaii, um, when I was a kid, since I was about 13 or 14, Matt Moore, who is yeah. a really talented shaper from Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, Matt was kind of like, he was my guy. I rode for him. Like I, I was on his team and um, I never actually shaped anything there, but I always was, I literally watched Matt shape every single surfboard I ever got. Yeah. Like I never, I never just like ordered a board and then like went and picked it up. Yeah. I would order a board and then I'd go in there when he was doing it and like watch him shape it and talk to him about it and feel it. And yeah. um, even, he even let me like, he would let me like template my boards. He'd show me like here, he'd mark everything like the, the dimensions, like the widths and stuff. And then like show me how to template things. And, um, cool. And he just taught me a lot. He talked to me a lot about like how boards work and what they do. Yeah. And so he, he was like kind of my, my starting point as far as like having that deeper interest in surfboards, I think. Yeah. And, um, and he's just a really, he's a rad guy. Like he was just, he was really good to me. He wasn't like a father figure. He's kind of too young. I think he's only, he's about 15 years older than me. Yeah. Um, but he was definitely like a influence on me. And like, I really just loved how his life was. I could see like, he was all set up around the ocean, you know, like his whole deal was like, he didn't shape all day long. He like went and surfed and then he went and shaped and then he, he went back and surfed the, again. He was holding down the top of the point. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was like the top dog at Rincon for sure. Like he was yeah. number one at Rincon. Like there was yeah. no, there was no local at Rincon, like above that guy for sure. Yeah. But, um, so he, he really influenced me in that sense, as far as like, just like seeing more of like a lifestyle kind of thing. But, um, so when I did first, when I shaped a board here, I did borrow like tools and a shaping room from Ed and this guy, Jim Turnbull, James Turnbull, who was like Ed's, that was country surfboards main shaper at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And he was a rad character. And, um, How just, so? a cru- just, a, I don't know. He was just like a cruiser. Like he just was like, he just did his board, like probably shaped like one or two boards a day, yeah. you know, kind of one of those guys that just like paced himself through um, shaping. He wasn't like, he wasn't trying to like be some kind of hot shot or anything, you know, he just wanted to like shape a board and go for a surf. And, um, but I used his shaping room for my first board. I remember. And, um, I think my whole theory was like, I, um, 
I wanted to, I just said like, Hey, I'll, I'll make one board. And if the board's okay, I will keep going. And cool. I don't have any, I, I always tell people, it's kind of funny. Like I'm really like, as far as like drawing or, or like artistically, I'm kind of not that talented. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of like, Oh, I bet I'm just going to suck at shaving. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I wanted to do it, but I'm like, this thing's going to be hideous or whatever. <laughs> but I'm like, if it's okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll carry I'll, I'll that was like in my head, you know, like if I yeah. can ride this board and it feels all right. Like, I don't even know really what the level was. I was expecting one way or the other, but um, so I shaped one board and I, I airbrushed it and glassed it and sanded it and everything. And yeah. um, I wrote it and it, and it worked. So it was like, that was my, my, where is that board today? I wish I knew. I actually sold it to one of my friends. <laughs> like it was pretty cool. Like I actually sold my first board to somebody eventually. What was the um, label? Did you have a label back then? No, there's nothing. It was just yeah. nothing, you know, and uh, it wasn't like today planer? where did you borrow Jim's planer? Or did I you... can't, I don't even remember. I it was like, I know I, it was a like a, a Hitachi, one of those green Hitachis. Yeah. I never used a skill. I've never shaped with a skill planer. I'm not like the cool shaper guy that did that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like enough of a new school shaper, hand shaper that I was like only Hitachis. Yeah. But um, I must've borrowed it or I don't think I, and I, I bought one soon after that, but anyways, yeah, I just like slowly. So I just started making my own shortboards. But at mm -hmm. the same time, the crucial figure in my life at that point was Jeff Bushman. Yeah. And so right be, before I even shaped my first board, I started so, getting boards. Okay. So he was, you were getting boards from Jeff and he, yeah. As your friend. yeah. Right. I had moved over here. I'd moved over here and I was, I was sponsored by Hamish Graham when I moved here. Yeah. And um, so he was making my boards, but it just proved to be a weird relationship where like he's in California, yeah. I'm in Hawaii. Um, his business wasn't like booming where he could be like, I'll ship you some boards, you know, like it wasn't, you know, I'm not yeah. going to, and, and I wasn't the value to him enough to be like, I got to take care of this guy. You know, it was kind of like, mm -hmm. it was a little difficult. Yeah. And so as I started, like I said, I broke all these boards and, um, so I needed new boards. So I went to Bushman because I had met him through some, some new friends of mine from Ventura mm -hmm. that were actually enemies of mine when I lived in Ventura <laughs> or lived in Santa Barbara. <laughs> uh, so I made friends Who was with that? all these guys. Davey, uh, Davey Miller? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Davey wasn't the, yeah, it was, it was a group of people that lived with Davey Miller actually. Yeah. Um, these guys, uh, I can't even remember how I met Dylan. There's a few guys, but they were living it off the wall, the house that's now like the Billabong house at off the wall. Yeah. All these guys from Ventura had somehow met these two nurses that, <laughs> that rented that house. Right. Yeah. And, and they're like, they wanted to rent a room or whatever. And, and pretty soon, like those nurses had like five surfers living with them in this house. Davey Miller lived downstairs in the studio underneath the house. Yeah. And um, these guys from Oxnard and Ventura all lived together in that house. Wow. And I basically lived on the couch at that house. I became friends with these guys. Awesome. I was living up in Pupakea. And I was literally living in a shack in Pupakea. Like it was a tool shed in someone's backyard for 200 yep. bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. With, with like a, Rats. I had an extension cord. I had an extension cord that went out to it and like a mini fridge and like a weird little light. <laughs> was there a floor was, or was it grass? Yeah. No, it was all, no, it was all, it was all plywood with like a little bit of like, screen in this one little area it was literally like an eight by 12 shed yeah it was crazy i've slept in one but, um, over there actually <laughs> yeah it was awesome i'm like 200 bucks a month i'll take it 
but uh so those guys but i'm like oh, i live in the shed in Pupake. like would i rather just sleep on a couch at pipeline and i just left all my boards there and i wake up and you're like looking at pipeline you know it was pretty yeah. epic yeah but um so i met bushman through those guys because bushman was like the somehow he had he was from the east coast but he had moved to ventura and he made all the boards for all the ventura boys yeah and so I, I met him and then he just was like yeah dude you can use my shaping room and he was just super cool like um he made me some, so he was making all my guns. Yeah. Anything over like six, eight, he was making my boards. And then I just started kind of making all my short boards and like smaller boards. Yeah. And then, and he would just guide me through that. Like, Hey, here's like, he literally, here's some rocker measurements. You should try this or do that. Or like, you can use my templates and you can do this. And he was cool. Um, That's great. So he was, he was my true like influence and in shaping as mm -hmm. far as like physically shaping. Yeah. Um, he was the guy that just gave me like that whole, I, I, I think of it as like a foundation for everything. Yeah. And, um, and he made me handshape. He had a shaping machine. So then I got, I got a job shaping for him basically. Right. right. But he, but he had a shaping machine. He got one during the time I he, uh, was working for him, but he wouldn't let me use it. Like he was <laughs> he's just like, no, you'd have to keep hand shaping. And, and um, so when you was, say shaping machine, you mean like, obviously they're, you're cutting blanks with the, with the machine, but is there, is there a CAD software program attached to it? Obviously there must be something. Yeah, like no, that, he right? bought, he bought him and Eric Arakawa at the same time, both got DSD machines right. um, from Br Luciano in Brazil. Uh -huh. yep. And um, before that, I was actually working for Bushy before he even got that. And they were getting boards cut on a KKL machine. Um, where they would just have like one file, you know what I mean? And they could right. kind of change, they, they couldn't actually change anything, but the, the operators could like make that model at different lengths and widths. Right. Um, then Bushman and Eric both got a DSD machine, each of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was with the DSD software, which is terrible, but yeah. at the time it seemed great. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, so they started cutting their own boards and that was, um, that was kind of revolutionary to For be able sure. to have what like, year was that you think like 90 it was something it, yeah it was 96 probably yeah or 97 it was pretty you know i got here in 92 but i didn't start shaping like until probably 95 or something 96 yeah. i don't know yeah it's kind of a blur yeah but um but that was cool so bushman just like he literally was like what can i do to help you you know he was and and that's and, so great and business wise too, like he would advise me on like when I started actually getting a little bit of a business, he could kind of point me in the right direction with different stuff. He was doing a lot of boards like through Japan and traveling around the world to shape and stuff. So he really gave me some guides, you know, guidelines in that sense of what to do, what not to do. So great and, to have um, a and a mentor like that. That's basically like, how yeah. can I help you? You know, that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty magical. He's a, he's a really good guy and like, we're still really close. And, um, he just is like, he's one of those people that just doesn't have, he's not like, Oh, it's a secret. Like you have to earn this. I mean, he, he, he made me earn stuff, but like, he's real open with things. He wasn't like, he wasn't so, worried. You know what I mean? Yeah, he wasn't worried. Like yeah. you're going to, you're going to take things from me. He was just like, what can I give you? You know, that's fabulous. That's so pretty great. cool. Yeah. yeah really. I'm really grateful. It was nice. Well, let, so, let me shift gears a little bit. Um, yeah. How has the pandemic affected the North Shore community, John? Like, like, has it been a good thing? I imagine it's been a good thing for the surf, but, but then again, Rarick tells me it's super crowded. Like, tell me about 
Yeah. The pandemic. I surfed with Randy. Yeah, yeah, I saw Randy a couple of days ago. I've been, I've been, I was foiling it since that point. He's down there. Um, it was, it was like, it was weird. It's, it's a, it's, it's evolved just like everywhere, you know. Right, so right. in the very beginning, in like whatever it was, in like March, a year ago, yeah, yeah, it was more than yeah in March, yeah. and um, it was, it was killer in a sense. Like we we're freaked out, right? I got, I got really crazy. I was like washing the like chip bags from the grocery store. Bit, you know what I mean? Like I was like, I was like soaping up the, the, the it was the mail. In this, yeah. Yeah. My wife is just like, you are a lunatic. My kids. I was just like, no, I'm saving. I'm, I'm going to keep us safe. You know, like this is insane. Like I, yeah. I'd go and like take my daughter's car to the gas station and get gas for her because I didn't want her like touching shit. You know? Yeah. I was, in, yeah. I was insane. And I've since, really really relaxed but um it was pretty funny but uh so at that point people stopped coming here right we closed down like hawaii closed down it was amazing we're like this is incredible we don't want anybody coming here yeah we have our little closed closed island and like let's keep it as safe as we can and things were pretty mellow um and traffic oh that changed dude we went from like the yeah nightmare traffic to just like no problem. Drive to Hollywood on a Saturday afternoon and back just to go to the hardware store. No worries. Like that's yeah. something that you just never would do around here, you know? Exactly. Um, so it changed everything and the surf got empty. All yeah. of a sudden we're surfing with just our friends or people that we know that live here and that's it. Yeah. And it was pretty amazing for a long time. Um, and then as they've opened back up, it's kind of gone the opposite route where like there's, I'm sure if you're a surfer or even not a surfer, you think of Hawaii, you're like, wow, I, I can't travel anywhere else in the world. People travel a lot these days, it seems like. And all of a sudden you can't really go out of your country, but you can go to Hawaii. This is like the most exotic place in America. You know what yeah. I mean? Basically, right. or tropical island. Yeah. And um, so a lot of people started coming over here, whether they're surfers or non-surfers. And, and a lot of people have actually been moving here. Like you see out of state license plates every day. Like I, that's what Rarick Rarick told me is that he noticed that there was a bunch of newbies in the water and they were basically just people that were like, if we have to live from home and we have plenty of money, let's make our home Oahu. Yeah. Why would I live in like wherever on the beach basically. And a lot of those people I think do have quite a bit of money. So they're not like, 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 typically over here people are kind of like ah, i don't want to spend a lot on rent like people are kind of scratching by a lot yeah um not scratching by but there's you know there's people yeah, just normal sure. people and it's not sure. just all rich people here and um a lot of the people that have the resources to move here are just like oh, i'll pay five grand for rent for a place that would be you know three grand or two grand or you know five yeah. years ago it was 1500 bucks or whatever have you um, noticed that have you noticed that the economy oh, yeah. kind of changed in a bad way because they're kind of pushing the limits of they have so I much money that yeah there's a lot of like the 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 face of the north shore like if you just drive through the north shore today you won't mm-hmm. really see much difference from even 20 years ago mm-hmm. i mean it's it's more modern obviously and a lot of like the smaller houses on the beach especially are now bigger houses on the beach mm-hmm. um they've been bought you know purchased yeah. and torn down and replaced or or added to or whatever Mm-hmm. whether by people that have always lived here or people that have moved here or whatever. But, um, and then I, I think the biggest difference I see now is like you trip out on like how many little kids there are around here. 
the the like the one to 13 year old (laughs) demographic is just booming because all these people that have either grown up here or moved here or whatever are all having kids and it kind of got more crowded and then these people I feel like people tend to have more than like one or two kids around here. Like I see a lot of little flocks of like three and four kids. Yeah. And um, it's pretty trippy. So there's just tons of all these little kids everywhere. And just like Randy said, there's all these surfers that like, they're not really surfers. They're just going surfing. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so especially like Randy surfs sunset point every day, basically. And even if it's waist high, and that's when like those people are at their best, you know? So you see yeah. those kind of little soft top. I was out with Randy at sunset point the other day and there was three, two girls and a guy, a kid, they're young on soft tops and they were all speaking Spanish. And they were <laughs> like, I don't know where they're from, but that's pretty rare. Like you don't really see like new surfers speaking Spanish on the North shore. Right. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Like, I don't know if there were, it wasn't Portuguese. It was definitely Spanish too. So right. it, was, it was, it was a trip and yeah. they were super happy. They're having the best time. And like one of them could totally surf. Two of them were just obviously learning. They're all on like wave storms or whatever. Yeah. And um, they were super stoked, you know? So yeah. it's not like, it's not like all bad. There's like yeah. good energy with that stuff. But then yeah. there's also like a little bit of a clogged lineup and people freaking whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned these flocks, these young kids that are eventually going to be, you know, 12 and then 16 and then 20. What do you think about the prospect of becoming a pro surfer for the young (laughs) up and comers on the North shore? Do you, does it seem like the pond is growing? Um, The, the, the concept of having a career as a pro surfer, do you think it's shrinking, contracting, or do you think it's growing? Are there more opportunities or less opportunities for a 16 year old that wants to be a pro? Yeah, I, I've always, it's funny. I have one of my really good friends, we, uh, PD Johnson. um, We talk about this stuff a lot because we kind of are in the mix of it all and, and looking at it all constantly. And, um, we always guys trip out on how much people will put into the potential of their child mm-hmm. becoming that. That's like a huge group of people that are moving here is the people that want their kids to be pro surfers. It's oh, yeah. like a, that's like a, that's like a, it's crazy, right? It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. And so those people or not those people, that, that whole situation, mm-hmm. I always look at it. I'm like, let's just break it down to like how many people are really making a living from pro surfing. And if you're just taking like, it's literally like in the men's side, it's like 10 people, I would call it dozens at most. Like, like, yeah, 20, 30, you know, like a real living. Yeah. The guy's killing it. There's 10 of them guys that are like, this is incredible. I'm like wealthy from surfing. There's, there's like six to 10. Yeah. And then, and then it goes drastically down from those 10 too. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. There's, it's and kind then, of like the way our society is, is there's like a 1% and then there's like a totally. middle class. Yeah. The middle class barely exists and there is no lower class in surfing professionally. <laughs> there's like the lower class is the guy getting a sticker. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I got a pair of trunks and a sticker if I was lucky or yeah. I got a deal on my trunks and a sticker. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and in the women's it's even tighter. Like the women's side of it is, is even smaller than that. You know, it's shrunken down even lower and the money is probably, it's probably pretty good still at the very top, but like the, the bottom half is drops even faster. 
And so I think it's like, what, like as a parent, I would never encourage my kid to be a pro surfer in a million years, you know, know. unless they were like phenomenally talented. Yeah. And the problem I see is that many, many parents think that their kid is a phenomenally talented or B um, can be coached up to be phenomenally talented or C can move here and become phenomenally talented. And so I I just wish parents would have a little bit, they're they're setting their kids up for disappointment, you know? Totally. And I feel like that's kind of sad. It's hard to say no when you're a 16 year old kid and you're like, dad, I want to be, you know, I want to be Kelly or whatever, you know, it's like, especially if you're a, a surfer, Exactly. Like as a parent, you know what yeah, I mean? You're all, yeah, yeah. You, that's my dream. I wish I could have just gotten paid to travel around the world and surf. <laughs> like maybe you could do it, son or daughter, yeah. you know? So I get it. I mean, I can see that too, but I just feel like it's not, it's not very realistic. And especially, um, yeah, I think it's become less and less realistic. And like, what's the, yeah. what's that pathway? Like go to school, you know, do something else or, or, or learn some life skills. I feel like those kids sometimes just are, are coddled a little bit where they, yeah. the parents put so much into them being a good surfer that they don't yeah. really put much into like the rest of their life and like having a balanced life that is going to lead to happiness down the road. And Absolutely. if you don't have that, then like, and, and then you don't succeed as a pro surfer, or even if you do succeed as a pro surfer and you don't have like a balance of some sort, I just don't think that you're going to have like that much fulfillment in your life, you know? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a really difficult place too, for like the, the 28 year old surfer that gave it a run and then realizes, you know what, I, I had a year on the CT and I fell off and I'm kind of like, what do what I, am I do? Gonna do? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's I have no life sad. skills, you know, it's kind of, yeah. And there's some guys that are pulling it off and, but you know, well, to be a I, good I, surfer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Well, to, just to be a good surfer takes a lot of time surfing, right? That's how you get yeah. good at surfing is by surfing, not yeah. like, reading about it or watching videos or da da da. I mean, that stuff, you know, you can add to it, but surfing is how you get better. And so if you've spent so much time surfing and not doing other things and not being part of, you know, normal society or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it doesn't work. It's kind of funny. I will say, um, I do have a good friend that I've known forever that he was like one of those very, very fringe pro surfers, you know, Mm -hmm. where he was like, he was just, barely squeaking by and like he had like Japanese sponsors he didn't even have like American sponsors you know he got and and he would do things I remember he's like oh do you have a he like came by my house one day he's like do you have a razor I I need to borrow I need to shave I have to go to a meeting I'm like what what are you talking about he's like they think I'm like five years younger than I really am (laughs) so I have to shave before I meet with them but uh but that guy so I'm all dude what are you doing like what why are you what, like, what's your plan? Or like, what, you know, what are you thinking? And I'm not really one to give life advice. I was pretty flaky a lot of long ways and still have my flakiness. But, um, but he's like, dude, I get to go surfing around the world for free. Like, that's what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't give a shit what was happening next. He's just like, these guys are going to pay for me to like, go to the Philippines tomorrow and go to cloud nine and get barreled, you know? Yeah. And so for him, that was his, his, he wasn't looking beyond it. Yeah. He was just looking at like, I'm on a free ride right now. Like I barely am paying my rent, but like, I don't have to work and I surf all day. Yeah. And I kind of went like, well, kind of admire that you know, no, in, a weird, sure. in a weird way. And like, and, and, you know, it's funny. 
especially if you're yeah. in mid-20s or whatever. I get it. Yeah. You know, chase yeah. that thing. Keep chasing well, he, it. He was – he was in his early twenties, according to his Japanese sponsors, but he was actually in his <laughs> later late twenties in reality. <laughs> uh, he needs hair dye and shit. Yeah, it was so funny. Pretty classic. Pretty I've always thought that that there's as and you are in the middle of it, man. But there are so many great surfers as far as technical skill. And oh really yeah. What separates the guys? I'd say right now the top four on the CT or maybe the top six on the CT from the rest of the world is the mental game, the ability to, to be, you know, to really have that thing that kind of Kelly has and others have. That's, it's just at that point, it's just like any sport. Look, there's a million great tennis players and golfers and blah, blah, blah. It's the guys that have the mental ability to kind of hunker down. I I agree. Absolutely. The, um, there's, there's like the talented surfers and then there's the talented surfers that can put it all together. And, and I think if you listen to stuff, I actually listened. Um, it's funny. Like I've known John John for so long, but even I listened to this podcast he did with um, whoop. He did a podcast on whoop. Like yeah. they're the guy that owns whoop or started, you know what whoop yeah, is like. I a, do. I have yeah. a whoop. I have a whoop. Yeah. Myself. yeah. Yeah. So John's really been into that. It's like a and Fitbit for the listeners that don't know. It's basically a yeah. yeah, and it and it's it doesn't like track like your motion exactly. It's not like it's a more of a heart rate thing and like your. Um, it's not like oh, I took yeah. three hundred and fifty steps in the last hour. It's not. Uh, anyways, the point is, um, John has really used that to to track his fitness and like his his resting. It has a lot to do with like recovery, uh, right? Recovery, yeah, yeah. I love to use that word now when I'm laying around on the couch watching TV. I'm like, hey, honey, honey, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting some recovery right now. Okay. It's like, it sounds way better than just being super lazy. Like I'm in recovery. Just give me some time here. I'll be, I'll be done with recovery when this episode's over on TV. <laughs> but um, anyways, John did a, a podcast with that guy and that guy isn't a surfer. And so it's, it's always interesting to hear um, like a surfer or somebody in that level talk about stuff with people that don't really surf yeah because they get into different aspects it's not just like what kind of fins do you have and da, 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 you know yeah um so it's a real interesting you might want to even listen to it and it really got it, it gives you a really good picture of like how much john um uses different like meditation techniques and um, visualization and just like how much time he actually does spend beyond just going surfing to be good at surfing you know yeah. Um, he spends a lot of time to be good at competing and to be in a good headspace. And like, uh, it's pretty cool. I'd listen to it if I was you or yeah, you know, how, anybody how out there listening. How, how would we get a hold of it? Do I you? think you could just uh, probably just search like whoop John John podcast or something like that. I, yeah, I would yeah. guess yeah. it was pretty cool. The guy, I, I think the guy that started whoop is probably a pretty smart guy. He sounds yes. pretty interesting. And he, and they work with like, gnarly olympic athletes and like they work with like the elite athletes across all the yeah. different sports yeah. so it was interesting to hear his conversations with john and how uh, that a lot of what john is doing is also the same kind of things that all these different real elite athletes in all kinds of different things are doing as well you know yeah, yeah. and so just to your point yes it, it does take way more than just being a good surfer to be at that very top level and especially to maintain that level yeah you know yeah. I think it's pretty, it's pretty tough. You know, I was, um, I got to admit, I was, I was on your website the other day preparing for this and, <laughs> and I watched the podcast 
where you started to break down some of your boards and oh with john yeah yeah and you mentioned you mentioned at one point that you i think it was specific to the ghost you mentioned Mm -hmm. at one point that it was basically a kind of a step-up design and you just cut the nose off more or less yeah. You didn't move Literally. the rocker at all. You just kept the yeah. rocker the same. Yeah. And it reminded me of a Brewer story where somebody complained to Dick about something and Brewer was pissed off and grabbed a saw and just cut the tail off and said, here, I, I, do you like it now? Think, yeah. What, who was that? You were, was that? Didn't you talk about that recently on a podcast? I, I may have. Like, it might have been like Lopez. Cut like a foot off the tail or something crazy. Yeah. Like, here exactly. you go. Yeah, just kind of went yeah. screw you. But yeah. I know that I know there wasn't any of that sort of animosity when you did this. This was specific. No, not at all. You, you were you were trying <laughs> I wasn't to test. No, no, you're psyching. But what fascinated me is this idea that you didn't move the rocker because I'm sure Brewer obviously in jest, you know, he wasn't made, he wasn't moving the rocker on the tail. So yeah. um, speak to me a little bit about designs. Um, I'm of the opinion, and it's and I know you can't pinpoint which aspect of a surfboard design is the most important. Because they right. all come together as in For one sure. unit, you know. Yeah. Um, but speak to me a little bit about that ghost design. I'm fascinated by that board. I, I'm not sure I have <laughs> the the youth to ride it, you know. I'm well, basically John. What I'm saying is I'm looking for a board right now, and I was geeking out on the ghost. My friend yeah. has one. He geeks out on it, but I think I'm just too old for the ghost. You know, I got to no be way. realistically. Not at all. I think I think it's it's so user friendly. It's almost like it's a that's that's one of the kind of weirdly like magic things about it i think is that it it's pretty good across the board for everybody um and you just kind of as far as like like you just ride a little bit bigger one and you know what i mean like you just ride something more sized up for yourself rather than like a little tiny chippy one or something you know? yeah but um yeah it's nothing I don't, I don't know it's just um i did do exactly that like i did chop a blank a, a board a step up board that i had that the blank got messed up it was in indonesia actually i was in bali shaping and we'd ship these boards we'd shipped a bunch of blanks i'd gone there the year before and she hand shaped yeah and it was a nightmare like i i i had it was the worst hand shape well actually the worst hand shaping experience of my life was at the boardroom show <laughs> in front of <laughs> that really cracks me up i love i, I always tell you people killed like, it, man. You that killed was this that was this the most pressurized hour and a half of shaping <laughs> in my entire lifetime you only to had copy mark, mark richards you had mark richards and wayne rich breathing down your neck not to mention biolas yeah dude well that was what i actually met biolas at that one that was the first time i met him but the funny thing is wayne rich was like my coach in that thing he was like yeah. helping me luckily i ran into him in the parking lot on the way in because i was just like what am I going to do in here and he's just <laughs> like okay let me tell you here's how you do it like you, you let's set your timeline like, let's do this. Who's going to be your corner man? And he's friends with my friend, Fred, that was there, came yeah. down there to see me from Santa Barbara. He's like, Freddie, okay, you're the corner man. You're going to tell him when he needs to move on to this step. And uh, Wayne was epic, man. I freaking love that guy. But, um, but regardless, once yeah. you step into that fishbowl and there's like, Mark Richards is literally sitting on a stool <laughs> outside the window, like stoop watching every minute of your hour and a half of shaping. It's <laughs> just like, are you freaking joking with me? And I was just like, this is horrible. This is like, uh, I can't even believe, I can't believe guys want to do that over and over again. I am so glad you said yes. Cause I remember you were like, I don't know. And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Dude, that was, Somehow that was I got so you. Heavy. 
Yeah, no, it was it was awesome. Like I'll never forget it, but I definitely won't. That 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 was my last one, right? That was like okay. Well, we don't know about that, brother. Come on. Well, anyways, so Bali had some. Oh, Bali, yeah. Hey, let me. Um, I gotta go pee. Yeah, yeah. Really bad. I'll read no, it right back. Okay. okay. Bye. Let's see here. Yeah, buddy. Going. All right, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're good. I'm back. Yeah. yeah I was gonna show you here. Let's take just take a look out. See that? No, you're you got to turn on. You've been. Oh, on, is my video? My video's not on. No, you've been on black screen the whole time. Oh, dude, I would have been. You should have told me. I just figured I you didn't want to go there, but it's no, not a good. I'm, I'm fine. See that little oh, video thought, thing? There yeah, I know. Go. I thought I was on there the whole time. No. So, Oh, Rockies. so good. I'm so sorry. I feel bad. I was like looking at you the whole time. You're just looking at an empty screen. No, nah, it's fine, dude. Um, Don't worry about it. This I never really put the video up. I just used it. No, I know, but it's nice. I mean, I was like, yeah. feel like I'm talking to a normal person instead of like, yeah. there we go. Okay. Yeah. 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 So right. Bali, so you were, so you're in Bali. Bali, had a horrible hand shaping experience and this is where the okay. go. Yeah, no. Yeah. So I went to Bali the first time I ever went down there. My friend down there set me up with a shaping job. He's like, come down and just shape like 20 boards. Like killer. I flew down to Bali, shaped these 20 boards, but they were like the worst blanks I've ever used. And it was like, it was just, it was the sweatiest. It was just terrible. So yeah. I'm like, I still, but I love Bali. Like I go to Bali. I've been going to Bali for 15 or 20 years. I love, I love it. So I'm like, I yeah. got to figure out how I can keep doing this and like making money in Bali, like shaping boards. Like I, I went to Bali and got paid, you know, it was killer. Yeah, right. So that part was good. So I'm like, Hey, next time, since you're already getting the blanks from Australia, the guy that does my boards down there, you're already getting blanks from Australia. Let's don't those blank companies usually have like access to shaping machines. Let's just get some boards cut. So like, so basically what he did is he ordered, we, I put together 60 boards, like let's make these 60 boards. And so he had pre-shapes shipped over along with, cause there was no shaping machine in Bali then, which there yeah. is now. But yeah. So, so I went back the next summer or whatever it was. And one of, I shaped all these boards that were, went way better. And, um, but one of the blanks, it was like a six, four step up. One of the nose had gotten broken off in shipping. And so you're in Bali, you don't just throw that away. You, right. you use it. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm like, yeah. hey, I can make this into something for myself. So I turned it into a five eleven. I didn't, I didn't mess with the back part of the board. I just chopped it as far up as I could where it was yeah. broken, retemplated yeah. it, hand shaped the rocker back into it and rode it. And I was like, fuck, this thing's insane. I surfed it like pumping Ulu's little tiny binging. Um, I got fully barreled on the thing at Padang and yeah. um, just super fun. So I had a great time on that board and it just kind of was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And so and I just this was kinda, the beginnings of the ghost, right? This was the basically first, first ghost. Basic, more or less. Basically. Yeah. yeah. I had made another board similar to that here um, by hand shaping a board that I embarrassingly enough, when I templated it, yeah, I had mismeasured the nose and I didn't notice it when I template it. And then I yeah. cut it out and I looked at it and like one side was like a half inch narrower than the other side or an inch. <laughs> it was maybe an inch off. Somehow wow. I had like just really farmed it. Yeah. And same thing, like, oh, I don't want to waste this blank. Like, uh, you know, um, yeah. so I reshaped that board into this fat nose board that I, it was only a five, eight, I think. And I rode it at like eight foot sunset and it worked because it wow. was beefy. Okay. And I called it the bulldog. It was like this, it was like this stocky little board. And I, I still yeah. have a friend that tries to order bulldogs from me. He's like, <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, so the ghost, that was, 
I wouldn't say that was, I mean, that same board, that was a step up model that I still make called the next step. Yep. And it's just, it's evolved over time, but it's sure. like a basic step up board for all yeah. around everything. And um, that's where it kind of began. And then it was like, I, I started making that design on a computer. So I took that and basically chopped off the nose on the computer. And just like we were talking about the rocker, the rocker had an apex in the center on the next step. But when you chop off the nose, the apex moves forward. Right. And the so other thing that you mentioned little... is that the rails that now are staying parallel. We've got a wider yeah. nose, the wide points forward now, right. the rockers forward, but the rails yeah. are, it, it sounded and so great when you were describing cool. it. I was like, wow. yeah, it's cool. And, yeah. and then the thing with that design too, is that when you have, when step up boards in general, at least mine, I mean, I, I would say probably most guys um, have a lot of rocker in them. They have a lot yeah. of curve, right? Yeah. And so that had a lot of tail curve. So there's a lot of curve from that apex of the rocker back to the tail. Yeah. And then, but then by cutting off the nose, you're, you're flattening out that front end. So you're changing the whole dynamic of the board by all of yeah. a sudden you have this flat end, but you have, you have a pulled in really curvy tail. So it's still really loose, but it also holds really well because of the, the pulled in part of it, you know? And, and John was mentioning it. Now he's got a wider landing area kind of forward where sometimes right. when, not that we do aerials, but you see the no, guys, they, they land up front of the Totally. Board. It's a stable, it's a stable platform compared to, and also your, the thickness is more focused towards the nose of the board, which you'll see guys land with their nose on the, I mean, their foot like way up in the nose. Yeah. And so on a traditional short board, that's like super scooped out and like there's barely any foam up there. Now you have like a, a actually more foam up there than you do in the tail of the board. Yeah. And so you have this thing that supports you rather than sinking as you land, you know, it's, it's all kind of. It's the new normal, together. isn't it? It's the new yeah. Normal. It's pretty weird. I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So it's interesting, so, uh, but I mean, I it has its limitations for sure. Really? How so? You don't want to go take that out at like waist high trestles or something. Oh, you know? right. Yeah. It's not going to be too fun. Well, speaking of that, because that's probably mm -hmm. what I'm going to be surfing is basically waist-high crappy California beach breaks, you know? Yeah. And so I was – and I'm going down to Mexico. Oh, sick. Yeah. You, so, you and every other person in California. Probably. <laughs> probably. It's funny you say that because I did hear some other people going. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at the gremlin. I, I, I yeah. actually like the wider outline. I mean, I'm riding yeah. fishes around here. So a wider outline trifling to me, it feels like I'm going narrow, you know? Totally. It's totally. not like I'm surfing yeah. Rocky Rides. I'm surfing yeah. crappy Del Mar Beach Break. Right. And so I'm thinking the gremlin That's a fun board. Sense. Yeah. Tell me about the yeah. gremlin a little bit. Does that make sense for me, you think, if I thin it totally. out? You know, you know what I would do? Actually, my favorite board for that kind of surf that I've been making lately is called the Astro Pop. Really? And Yeah. And uh, yeah. Astro Pop, which is like, I took, we have a board, you're talking about fish, like I have a board called the Astro, which yeah. is like an old school kind of fish, keel fin yeah. fish, but I, yeah. I usually make it as a quad now, it's kind mm -hmm. of moved over to that. Um, but I took that board and just mm -hmm. kind of tried to kind of more high performance it a little bit. Yes. Um, I kept the rocker pretty similar, a little bit of touch of added nose rocker. And then I pulled in the tail and put a little wing at like four inches up from the tail. So it, it pulls in quite a bit for the very end of the tail. It's not like yeah. a wide giant, you know, swallowtail. Right. Um, but it still has a nice, it has a little beak. It's pretty cool looking and it has a very dome deck. So it has a real refined rail. Like you're just talking about kind of a less chunk in the rail. Yeah. That board is so fun. It's like, I ride them a lot here actually still. 
uh-huh. and as a as a quad it's unreal and it's like a little it's like a more of a high performance feeling fish yeah and i actually i rode my friend i was in mexico in september went down there with yeah. some friends from santa barbara and um i didn't bring one but my friend andrew brought you know andrew yeah arctic owns, andrew. Owns arctic yeah, yeah andrew jacobowski yeah yeah so i went with andrew and some other friends and um he brought an astro pop and uh i wrote i tried it out there and i was like we were surfing barra and um it was so fun. I was just like, yeah. oh, this, I forgot how good these, I get, I came home from that trip and made myself two of them. Right. And I was just like, these things are insane. It was so, so fun. So should I go Astro pop? Is that what you're thinking? Over I think so. I just, well, just when you started talking about like a thinner rail, because yes. the gremlin does have like a beefy, it has like that flat deck fatness and it carries yeah. through the nose really a lot. I mean, we yeah. could always customize well, I like it. volume, but, but yeah. I, I want that sensitive. Yeah. You know, I think the Astro pop as a quad, you like quads. Well, no, I'm actually, I ride twins and quads. I rode a quad this morning, but I'm right. starting, you know how things are cyclical with your own yeah. surfing. And right oh. now I want that tri-fin vibe. I, I yeah. want that center fin bang. Yeah. So I'm looking Astro for a tri-fin. Yeah. Then you should go the gremlin. The yeah. Astro pop, I've ridden it as a thruster and it's, it's good, but it still has like flat enough rocker that it's, it feels weird. You know what I mean? It's not such a vertical board. It's, I mean, it works because you ride it small enough. Yeah. Um, but the gremlin I think is more of a snappy pockety board than that yeah. for sure. Yeah. Okay. It's super fun. And that gremlin is based off the ghost rocker, like that rocker, oh, it's the same theory, right? It's okay, like, great. I've, I've taken in that, in that group of boards, the gremlin, the phantom, the ghost, and then the shadow, those are like the, called the ghost family. Yeah. And, um, those are all based off that rocker and then adjusted to suit different situations and different levels of, of different sizes of waves and different kind of levels of surfing and stuff too. Cool. It's cool. Yeah. The gremlin's and super fun. I love it. I them. might reach out to Dan and, and drive up and see if they've got anything in store. Or maybe Surfride or somebody's got one. I'll just buy one, you know. Yeah. Cause, cause Surfride does, but if you talk to Dan, he'll, he'll, yeah, he'll uh, help you out for sure. Yeah. Dan's a man. Um, look, we, we were talking about the boardroom show and, and this year we're honoring Pat Ross and in the icons. That's awesome. Do you have any anecdotes about Pat? Um, I don't like, I, I have known Pat forever and, and I really admire Pat. Um, I think that he was just like, and still is just, he's a phenomenal shaper. Um, his stuff. Like I remember when I first moved to Hawaii, like him and Bushman were kind of like, they were for sure the top dogs. Um, Pat probably got a little bit more uh, world, world famous viewpoint through like yeah. Tom Carroll and different guys mm-hmm. than Jeff did at that point. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's incredible. And his craftsmanship is just unparalleled. It's like, he's amazing. Um, one of the things I will say for sure is his tails, his round tails, like a pintail, Pat Rawson isn't a pintail, right? It's a round tail. Uh And that, if you look at my boards, I don't have any pintails either. And I'd say that that's for sure from Pat. I think I even made a template off a six, eight Rawson in probably 96 mm-hmm. a little tail template you know like a, a foot long template just for that last little piece of the tail mm-hmm. and i'm i would i can't say for sure but i know that like my my six eight tail templates and like for little step up boards it, if you put it on a ross and it probably wouldn't be too far off let's put it that yeah. way <laughs> you know he definitely influenced i i just really like that like some guys have kind of like that pintail it almost has like a little nipple at the end like it doesn't 
it's not like a curve coming into it. It's like a pointy tip. Even mm -hmm. if it's not super pulled in, it can be like round, but it goes to that little point. Yeah. And I always dislike that. Yeah. And Pat always had that, like it, it was a curve coming all the way in to the mm -hmm. tail, you know, yeah. like look at Tom Carroll's pipeline guns. I guarantee they're like round in the tail. Yeah. Cool. So I'd say Pat, influ Pat influenced the last two inches of my boards for sure to this <laughs> day. Right. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. And I really like him. He's a, he's a good dude. He is. He's a great guy. Talk yes. to me a little bit real quick about um, big wave surfboard design, because it seems to me like if, if we've done a lot of refinement in the boards that we've been talking about here for the last few minutes, yeah, you know, like for sure, but big wave design, uh, it see, and, and again, I'm a lay person. You need to tell me if I'm right or wrong here, but it seems like there's a lot of room for change. And part of the reason that there isn't, or, one of the things that makes it difficult is that you don't get as much time for your team riders to actually try things out. And Oh, by the yeah. way, if you screw up, it's, it could be disaster. So you're not necessarily willing to go too crazy in one area or another. And I know you mentioned, uh, and I think it was last year though, Nate's boards had that step deck where it was fuller in the middle of the chest area. Yeah. And then you step down so that you could sink the rail. Right. Talk to me a little bit about your big wave well, board designs, the padlock and what you're doing. Okay. The, um, well, I'll tell you this, just what you just said about it. I, I used to have that same thinking exactly of mm -hmm. like, okay, you got to be really careful. Like don't deviate too far from the norm. You know, we just want to like get these guys to set their rail, make their bottom turn, make the wave, you know, and then we, we want to add as, uh, as much performance as we can, but within these little safe boundaries, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I think in the past year, what I've had from, coming from my guys that ride my boards is like, mm -hmm. fuck that. Like, let's get nuts. I uh, will right. try whatever. And Nathan Florence is my, my number one test pilot for big waves. And, um, he, he'll pack closeouts at jaws. You know what I mean? Like that guy is right. crazy. Yeah. And so, and not even really like, like I'm all, Hey, how's like, he comes back from Maui. I'm like, how was it over there? And he's like, Oh, it was, it was all right. Like I got a couple waves and then I'll see his videos, and, you know, a week later. I'm just like, you got a couple waves. Like you almost died five times. And like, what are you talking about? You know? And he's just like so casual about it. So uh, those guys are pushing me. So I have the guys that ride my big wave boards on a consistent basis are, are Nathan and John, John still like John sent it this year. That was a brand new board Yeah, out at that yeah. outer reef as they oh, call yeah, it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, that was a brand new step deck, just like we were just talking about. Okay. First time he ever wrote it. Like, yeah. Like stickered it up, took it out and paddled into the biggest waves of the year. Yeah. And, um, and, um, so he's willing to try some stuff and he gives me direction and Nathan's willing to try some stuff and gives me direction too. But, but they are, um, and then Billy Kemper is another guy like he, uh, uh, just to be clear, like he's sponsored by town and country Yep. He rides Glenn Pang's boards. Glenn makes some insane boards. He comes yep. to me and gets some guns for yep. Jaws, basically, and and yep. big waves only. And that's it. And yep. and I'm happy to make them just to get the feedback and see him riding them. Yeah. Um. I don't have. I totally respect Glenn's deal, and he's a great shaper and the whole, you know, everything. Yep. Um. Anyways, so those guys plus there's a couple random guys that get them here mm. and there, mm -hmm. and those are the like Nathan and Billy are two of the gnarliest guys on earth. You Absolutely. Know? And so I listen to what they have to say and they're very good at like trying to explain to me what they do and what I trip out. You would 
I sometimes wish I would record their conversations, let people listen to them because like Nathan is describing stuff that like happens in this little half a split second on a freaking 900 foot wave. Yeah. And like he slowed down to this little details where he's like, and then the nose was like touching right here. And like just these crazy details yeah. that you just think like you wouldn't even notice, you know, like, aren't you just trying to survive? And they're like, no, we want to pump in the barrel. Like right. we want to do things like they don't want to just make the wave. They right. want to like rip the wave, you know? Those, so, step, those step rails, they're, they're interesting, right? Because uh, just a little quick backstory is that yeah. stand-up paddlers, we were doing that rail oh, because yeah. Cause we had to bury the thing and our little chicken oh, legs yeah. couldn't bury a four inch yeah. rail. Yeah. So we 26 that. Wide, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. 26 was narrow. Yeah. Um, and what I noticed is that when I'm standing in the middle of the thickest part of the board and I'm now tipping my toes side over on the rail, I'm actually losing sensitivity because I'm not on the rail. My weight's actually, yeah, it's, it's like a different it's a thing. fine line. Yeah. I think, I think, well, I think a, a giant stand-up paddleboard versus like a 21 inch wide gun is a big difference sure. first of all. For but, sure. um, but I, and I'm just working on that stuff to figure out to me, I'm not the first guy by any means. Like this isn't my idea. Like no, guys no. have been doing it for this years. Is a brewer and thing, actually. Yeah. There's a brewer thing. Um, there's every, yeah. A lot of good gun shapers have been doing yep. different things like that because exactly. of the feedback they get from their writers. Right. They're like, Hey, I want to do. So for me, it's more of like, I want a sensitivity. I want the rail to have less drag. That's all I'm trying to do is like get the paddle power that you need from that giant board, but have, when you put it on rail, it doesn't slow down. It goes faster. And that, that's, that's my only goal with that. And we'll see, like those guys haven't ridden them that much. They've mm -hmm. tried them and, and the feedback's been good, but it's not like overwhelmingly, like we have to do this, you know? So we're just kind of getting in there. Yeah. Um, the one thing about those boards too, and something that I find really important is having a flat deck or a concave deck, slightly concave or flat mm -hmm. where that flatness uh, and it's, it's been overwhelming feedback from Billy, Nathan, um, John, and even somebody else, I forget who it was, but I mean, anyways, that the difference between a dome deck and a flat deck is, is like a world apart. Mark Healy, um, those guys, and what I come to realize, I thought it was more like for me, I started out doing this flatter deck as like a paddling thing so that you're like more connected to your board when you paddle. You're not like tipping back and forth as you paddle. You're like, you're more anchored to it. So you just have more leverage paddling as your last like three strokes into that wave aren't like rocking back and forth. They're like locked in. Um, but what I came to realize is that those guys would all, all the feedback was, I don't know. I just like this flat deck version of the same board way better. And I think it has to do with, I was actually talking to Jeff Johnston about it. And I was talking to him about that. And he's like, oh yeah, of course. You mean the gas pedal? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, think about it. Your feet are on a flat or concave surface. Your toes and heels are engaging quicker than if you're on a curved rolled surface where you, you tip across it, teeter-totter over it kind of. He's like, you're instantly engaging. Every little movement is more sensitive because your toes are on a flat thing rather than a curved thing. Mm -hmm. and and the i mean i can't argue with the, yeah. the stuff that they tell me is and i don't know if that's why they like it but that's could that's, be absolutely and that was jeff i didn't even think about that part of it i'm like i don't know they just like this flat deck better yeah. and he's like this yeah. is why so yeah. making like a big wave board just slightly more sensitive i guess what about and then, the nose area on the big wave boards because 
I know there's been a lot of, I mean, obviously they're all worried, especially at Jaws when it's windy, they're all trying to get down the wave face. So right. we were up on our feet and we're going down and we're, we've got chatter. What's going on? Yes, we, with, we are. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. No, I'm just kidding. You know, no, I gotcha. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, my, my thing is, well, let's make it like a boat hull, you know, let's make some tons of V in the nose. So right. the thing just splits the water. Yeah. What's going yeah. on with the noses? Um, I just put a little bit of roll up there. Not much. It's everything's like, it's so, it's so difficult. Like the, like, I think the whole balance in surfing always is like paddling versus surfing. Right. And mm -hmm. it just gets more and more exaggerated, the bigger the boards get. So those things, I, I think a couple things is like having some volume up front helps to maybe give you, once you get some momentum, you have momentum paddling, yeah. which is one thing. And then also just having like design wise, you want to have something that's a little less grabby up there, but yeah. at the same time you want to maximize your speed. So you want to, uh, a V is slow, right? Right. So, so you don't want to have the guy pushing and you tend to put a lot of front foot weight on a gun. Your, yeah. your, your, your stance is closer to the middle of the board or even forward. Mm -hmm. um, you're driving constantly. I'm thinking of like jaws a lot when I yes. think of big wave boards these days. Um, and so I'm thinking of these guys getting barreled and, and pumping or pushing forward. And so the board has to have lift of some sort up there rather than yeah. just pure, like, bleh, you know, V right. it, it may be only incrementally slower, but it's slower. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's a balance of where that V goes to back in the board, where their feet are going to be and all this different stuff. Different surfers are real different. Like Mark Healy stands on the tail of his board, mm -hmm. whereas Billy Kemper stands in the middle or the front of his board. Yeah. You know, Healy, if you watch him on a right, he'll be Tom Carroll style, like back in the very tail and swinging mm -hmm. off that. So you can, the boards ride differently for him, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and front side versus backside, even, you know, I'm thinking of mostly regular footers going right, getting barreled when I'm trying to make something better in a big wave board, I think. Yeah. But um, I don't know. There's just a lot to do. And, and what um, the other, the other influence on that stuff is Kyle Lenny. Yep. who doesn't ride my boards. I've yep. made him a few boards over the, over time, but he doesn't ride my boards and his influence. Like those guys look at Kyle Lenny, like what, look what Kyle Lenny's doing. Look at how yep. his board, like Nathan's like, I swear he paddled from behind the wave and caught it. You know, like he's telling me stuff and I'm like, I think you're a little confused, but you know, I, I still listen. Yeah. And um, Kyle Lenny's riding these light, light, guns with these weird designs and like channels in the bottom, like just all this weird shit. Yeah. Um, and I keep trying to, uh, oh, I'm trying to give up telling him these things, but I keep trying to explain to Nathan and these guys like, I'm all dude, Kyle Lenny has a different skill set than you guys. He has like a, a gravity free skill set where he's been kiteboarding and, and windsurfing and yeah. all these things where, you're not held by gravity. You're you, if you watch Kyle Lenny drop into a wave at jaws, a lot of times his board is almost like fluttering in the wind. Yeah. Which is like, to me would be like the worst case scenario. You're like, no, I'm going to die. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. But Kyle Lenny lives in that space. Exactly. Like that's his normal. He's mm -hmm. been fluttering in the wind his whole fucking life. You know exactly. what I mean? That's so and true. so for him, yeah. So for him, it's not a, it's not a new experience. It's just like, this is what it feels like to ride a big wave. Mm -hmm. And so he can adapt. He can ride. I, I feel like he can ride um, different sort of equipment that doesn't necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily suit everyone without that kind of a practice. Yeah. You know, yeah. those guys haven't done that. 
they haven't windsurfed jaws and just had their fin of their board floating. That's the only thing touching the water, the tail, the last six inches of the board, and, it, and that's fine. You know, that, that's great insight. That really is. I mean, the fact is, Kai Lenny lives in that space. That's his normal, yeah. and that's he's, not he's gravity free. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way I think of it. And yeah. those guys are all using gravity and dealing with it, you know, in a different way. And so they'll cut, like, I just made Nathan a, an epoxy nine, eight that weighs half as much as his normal boards do. And I'm like, all right, let's go. You try this thing out. Let me know, you know, let's, let's do it. I'm not, I'm not closed minded. I'm not telling like, yeah. I won't do that for you. Yeah. I'm like, I'll do whatever you guys want. And if you're willing to go ride it, that's great. Yeah. So I'll watch the, the videos. <laughs> <laughs> what about the dark arts carbon layup for something like Nate's riding have you guys yeah I think I think we'll try something like that I know I know um that Kai is using carbon like the other thing with Kai is that he lives on Maui which is one of the most high-tech yeah surf not necessarily surfboards but board building areas exactly. in the world yeah, right exactly. it's been the headquarters of windsurfing which is has always been light years ahead of surfboards as far as the way you build boards yep. but they also have different needs like they don't flex they don't you know there's a lot of different things when you build a board um, a surfboard versus a windsurfer or whatever. Yeah. So Kai's you coming do sense from these guys. On, on Maui that there's this like sailing vibe, like that there's oh, this for sure. America's it's the wind. Like it's the windiest vibe. fucking place. Yeah. In Hawaii. Yeah. You have to, you have to adapt. If you want to have a good time on Maui, you have to be able to use the wind for something, you know, yeah. whether it's to do an air on your shortboard or to, you know, kite wing surf or foil or whatever. Um, but yeah. So I think like the, I would like to make Nathan a, a uh, carbon, full carbon epoxy EPS board. Uh, that's what kind of, it was a baby step to do that with this one epoxy. That's a stringered epoxy, normal, normal blank, but yeah. light. Yeah. So that's a step towards that. I don't know that. Um, I think, I think Chris Christensen, Chris Christensen, Christensen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he made something for uh yeah Ian Walsh and, a while yeah. ago but I don't think it I never really saw well, that that really, board like, was way work. outside it, it of was, the yeah it was, a, it was trippy it, looked, it was like it was a like paddleboard almost yeah like, it, it looked like a paddleboard yeah. yeah and we'll so, see um, and, yeah and that was all carbon is my point but I yeah, just okay. think that the design was really out there and um maybe that's not like where I want to go it's just with more of the normal board and try it out but I just it's it has a lot to do with flex and 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 also how to absorb shock, you know, like there's a lot going on out there that is yeah. to me, it's like, why would you want a light board? You know? And Nathan's like, no, I love it. And, and I made him, I started making him some epoxies EPS mm -hmm. um, for pipeline. And he's just fucking loves them. Huh. Like, he's like, I'm all, dude, you're just going to break these. He's like, no, <laughs> what if I made, what if I made more waves because of them and I didn't break them? I'm like, well, we'll see. And then he's, He's been super stoked on them. So he knows how there's to some spin, merit. <laughs> yeah, there's some merit to that, I guess. You know, it just depends. Those guys are at such a different level in the tube yeah. and in big waves that like it's hard to wrap your head around it. Like yeah. no matter what you watch or whatever, when you talk to them, they're fucking those guys are fucking astronauts, dude. Like they're Probably. going to Mars and we're yeah. we don't know what Mars is like. You know what I mean? Yeah, when in that video with John, he was mentioning that he likes his boards real light, and I was thinking, yeah. I've had them too light. They, they don't yeah. go anywhere. Like totally. There's a, there's a, there's a level. Yeah. yeah. What do you think that number is poundage wise for like your average? I think surfing, you know, I not, think, not big waves, but well, like a short board. Yeah. Like Rocky a normal light. Yeah. Well, I'll just the, a light short board for like John 
with a three quarter deck patch and a four ounce full four with a three quarter patch, because that doesn't break. That's like five pounds, eight ounces. And that's not that light. Um, then if you get down, like he's been riding epoxies that weigh like a pound less than that, mm. four pounds, four pounds, maybe four and three quarters pounds. Yeah. I think five pounds is a nice light, light board. If you picked up a board that weighed five pounds, a short board, you would be like, I'm sure your boards are a bit bigger with more volume. Yeah. So they weigh more anyways. But if you pick up a 30 liter short board that yeah. weighs five pounds, it's going to be like, wow, this is light. Yeah. Um, I think a stock board, that same board with like stock glassing would probably be closer to six and a half pounds. Like yeah. it's definitely six plus. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think there's two light. I think there's different constructions that make things feel differently. Like I don't like the feel of a stringerless blank. Like I don't yeah. like the, regardless of the weight, yeah. it, it, it feels like it's missing swing weight or something to me where I'm used to having wood in the middle of the board that has kind of like a, a, a swing to it or something. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand it. You know, and I'm not like that level of surfing that it really matters, <laughs> but like, well, yeah, it's, feel it's stuff. an interesting thing, right? A stringer board because <clears throat> Skip Fry, at least Skip Fry has been um, sort of um, given this quote. I don't know if he said it or not, but yeah. he said that a board's at its best two weeks before it delaminates. Oh, really? Because it's, it's, you know, it's got, it's so yeah. dampened and it's so, it's yeah. like a, a, a pair of nice. It's worn slippers. in. Yeah. yeah. It's nice and worn in. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, on, I would, on that note, like the boards I've been making, John, over the last two years, all have foot concaves shaped into them ahead of time. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So like every board, all, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I actually do either two ways. I either, I do have some of, I've actually made it where it's just cut into the board and I finish it without having to do anything. But then I find it's almost harder to do that. You have to almost avoid messing up. Whereas mm-hmm. I just have a little tool that I just, right. it's a block, a sanding yeah. block that I just put them in. It's only, it's a foot and a half long oval on either side of the stringer, basically, whereas feet are going to, it's not like your specific heel and toe. It's just like a double concave deck. Yeah. And um, I've been putting those in all his boards for, for at least two years, maybe longer. And he loves it because it wow. feels like a, a used, like it feels like that worn in board Yeah. from wave one. Oh, cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And especially with like the carbon boards that he's riding, those things, they do dent up because we, you know, they're not bulletproof, but like, yeah. it's nice to have them pre-dented a little bit already. I thought he was surfing w- really well on them. The, the few times I've seen him and there were some videos during COVID Absolutely. ripping on those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, he had uh, like a stellar session. That one, one video, like it was all at Rocky point where he's just fucking yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Great surfing. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, real quick. I got a couple new questions and then i'll let you go i know you, you no got your, get your eyes on the uh you're a goofy foot though aren't you yeah but i grew up at rincon so i love oh, right that's right I'm, my my backside is my strong point for sure over right. my front side okay yeah. um, there's left there's lefts out there too <laughs> i bet there are <laughs> when you look at, at world champions um john john kelly slater gabe medina carissa moore there and there are others Many of them, the ones I've mentioned for sure, all stayed with one shaper for a long period of time. And inversely, there's some CT surfers who've jumped around a bit. And I'm thinking of Taj and, and Jordy. Yeah. And they have the world title has been elusive for those guys. Sure. Uh, do you think that this is a valid correlation that I'm making between being um, I, I'll use the term loyal 
to a shaper versus um, jumping around? Or am I reading too much into this? I think I think two two things. I think you're right in a lot of senses, with the, especially with the cases that you mentioned. Um, and then also, I think it is depends on the person. You know, like who's to say if Taj would have been on one guy's boards the whole time, would he have been a world champ or not? Like if he would have stuck with Nevs or you know whatever. I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of value to be had. Of course, I'm going to say this because it's valuable <laughs> to me to have John on my boards, right? Like, um, but just knowing like what our relationship is and how things work. And if that's similar to how other shapers are working with their guys, then it's pretty valuable because instead of like, oh, we're trying to figure this out or we're starting at this low level again and figure this out, we're like, we're fine tuning like this little tiny percentage constantly, you know? Yeah. And, um, and when you can work in those upper levels like that mm -hmm. together, yeah. it's really, it's pretty good. You know, it's, yeah. it makes things just, I think like my experience with John is that he just wants to be, he doesn't want to have question marks when he goes and paddles out for a heat. He doesn't want to have question marks when he's at an event, you know, when it comes to just competitive surfing, he doesn't want, he wants the question. He wants the work done. Like they say, you know, we've done the work. We're already there. He wants to like rock up to that thing and just know like we've done the work. I've got the boards. I'm going to go out there and I have to do my part and see what the ocean gives me. And, and that's that, you know? So yeah. it's kind of like a matter of just getting rid of question marks. Yeah. And it's easier to do that if you've worked with somebody over a long term. I think. Yeah. Makes sense. It doesn't mean like people are always like John would rip on anything. Yeah. Fuck. Of course he would. Like yeah. every one of those guys would rip on anything. Like that's not the point. Yeah. Yes. It's absolutely true. It's more like, what do you want to do too? As a person, you want to have that relationship with somebody where you can like, you know, it's more than just, we're not a business. Yeah. We're, you know, we have a relationship and um, there's a lot to that too, that can yeah. add to your, your, your head and your heart and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot more value than just like, Oh, I got a good board. Yeah. Like having sure. a, having a friend or a, you know, a, someone that can actually yeah. help you out too. I think yeah. I'd say that I see that in all the people that you mentioned, you know, yeah. Um, they're shapers and them. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, I remember, I remember specifically seeing Jordy. I think you might've talked about it recently somewhere. I listened to some, I talked to, G but, I talked to his dad about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I listened to that. Yeah. He's awesome too. Huh? He's so He's classic. Great. I love it. I remember he stayed next door, him and Jordy, when Jordy was younger, he stayed at my friend, my neighbor's house and my neighbor's all, dude, I saw G whipping Jordy with a stick today. <laughs> and I heard him talking about that on there. He's all, he made him break a branch off a tree and was hitting him with it. And I was just like, holy shit. I thought that was crazy. And then he's talking about it on your podcast. Like, oh yeah, I had to, I had to give him the, the stick or something. That so, was radio gold. When he said that, I was just like, yes. <laughs> I know. I heard that. I was like, oh my God, he's actually telling people about that. It wasn't just something he's, he's proud of it. You know, it was so <laughs> epic. But uh, anyways, I was just saying, I, I, I remember like a bunch of events where Jordy would just have three different, you know, he'd have, he'd have four channel islands and four mayhems and four JSs and like running. And there was a heat at trestles where he changed boards in the middle of the heat. Yeah. And it wasn't like, it's trestles, dude. It's not like you paddle out some wave. You're like, wow, this is way different than I expected. Like trestles doesn't change that much. And if you know mm -hmm. how big it is, you should know what board you're going to ride out there. Yeah. And like to, to literally be in the middle of a heat and just being like, 
maybe that other board will help me. I'm going in. Like I was just <laughs> tripping out when I saw that. Yeah. And um, I'm stoked that he's like, I think for him to be more focused, you know, I, I think you can see the, the value there. For sure. I agree. I'm super stoked. And, and, and I'm quietly rooting for Jordy to, to, I wouldn't, I'd be psyched if he won the world title. I mean, I can say that now that John John's out and, yeah, me too. I can start way, for other people. <laughs> I've specifically, you know, I, I sent you a text. I'm like, John, let's do a podcast. And you're like, let's yeah. talk about other things. And I was like, yeah. hmm, what does that mean? And let's I took talk about John's knee. Exactly. Yeah. And I've specifically no, not gone we there. Can and I talk about it. Well, I don't know much. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know it's, it's just yeah. going to rehab and try to get better. Yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. play, you know? he's but, the cool thing I'll say in this space is that that in that regarding that stuff is like, he's really good at rehabbing yeah. he's not like the only benefit of having had multiple injuries is that you know how to take care of them and you know how to get through them as quickly as possible and you know what what works for you yeah. so i'm super stoked for him in that sense where he doesn't i feel like he's not um in a space where he's like scared or worried about what's happening he's like in he's like this is what's happening this yeah. is what's going to happen this i'm going to take care of it these are the people that are going to help me and i'm going to get forward and and move past this and that's that. Yeah. He's in the cool. solution. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, totally. He goes, he, anytime I've ever, I've been with him a few times where he gets hurt and like, he's healing the next day. You know what I mean? He's like, he's getting better. He's not like I'm injured. Like I'd just be like, Oh me, poor me. He's already yeah. like, here's what I'm doing to get better now. Like that next literally right away, you know, which is pretty that's cool. incredible. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's pretty radical. Um, Michael Ho, 64 years old, gets the sickest backdoor barrel, puts his hands behind Lula. his back. And an yeah. inc- Is that your daughter? Yeah, Lula. That's my, my dog getting yeah. old. She barks at nothing. Oh, yeah. No, I there might be somebody coming by. Oh, oh, yeah. There it is. Cole Rothman walking through the yard. What's up, buddy? Yeah, Jack. I'm, um, I'm doing a podcast right now. I'm podcasting. No. I'll be done in a minute. So. <laughs> Have fun out there. Yeah, that's Koa Rothman. He's my neighbor. Oh, sweet. He, he lives one house behind me. So he comes through my yard and uses a lot of my hot water and my outdoor shower every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just leave oh. it there. Um, <laughs> um, Michael Hill. Dude, I'm blown away. I, t- I spoke about this. I mean, I think this is the most underreported, underreported story in surfing this year is that a 64 year old man is getting sl- shacked out of his brain at massive, you know, solid six to eight foot backdoor pipe. Yeah. I mean, mentally deep and spit upon. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm thinking to my, I'm like, I wonder if Pizel surfs gas chambers, you know, or I'm sure you're probably not surfing pipe at your age. No, I, I quit that a long time ago. Yeah, I and that's really, my point. Like, I got really hurt at Pipeline, and it kind of got me scared. Isn't it incredible, Michael Ho, what he's doing yeah. at age 64? I think it, like, deserves some sort of note. People <laughs> should take here's, note. Here's, here's what I'll say on that yeah. is, first of all, yes, you're 1,000% right. That guy is a fucking legend. Yeah. And not only is he a legend, but, like, you know, Michael, like, he is a great – I love Michael Ho. And I don't yeah. know anybody who doesn't love Michael Ho. Mm-hmm. Like – I, I've been like traveling all the, around the world and run into him. And I would just like, yeah, I just had the best times with him in all these different countries. And I see him surfing literally almost every single day that I surf. I'll see him somewhere. He surfs yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, um, and he rips and yeah. he's like riding short boards. He's like, Oh, I borrowed this from Coco. He's like riding Coco's <laughs> board or Mason's board or you know what I mean? He only rides four fins 
he rarely wears a leash. Yeah. Like he is, uh, there's a, you had some leash talks lately. Yeah, My co leash free almost all the time. Um, but yeah, he's an absolute legend. The, the one thing I love the, that people don't realize is when Michael Ho is at Pipeline, there's nobody out. <laughs> Imagine that. Dude, he paddles out to Pipeline. There's zero people that are going to paddle for a wave that Michael Ho wants. He exactly. can have absolutely any fucking wave at any time, always, 100%. Oh, yeah. Pipeline oh, yeah. is a, it's an empty wave to him. That is, is so great. I love that. It's Me pretty too. amazing. Yeah. He's a 64 year old paddling out to empty pipeline whenever he wants. It's, it's mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, I'm struggling to get to my feet at 56 trying to order, you know, thick fat boards and this guy is <laughs> yeah. just charging. Yeah. It's so cool. It's awesome. I love it. And I love the respect that he's given and like everybody's just like stoked to see him get a wave ever, you know? And then just like, everyone's just like, Oh Mike, you don't even look at Mike's waves. He calls for a wave. You just get out of the way. And yeah. he's still under the radar too. It's not like the kind yeah. of guy that's no. like looking yeah. for. He's just he's doing... not beating his chest. He's no, just not a surfer. All. That guy's yeah. a surf rat. Like oh. he is just a surf rat. I yeah. love it. It's pretty epic. It's all awesome. right, last question for you, bud, and then I'll let you go. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, no worries. Uh, boardroom show, the icons of foam um, from Hawaii. In the past, we've honored Brewer. We've honored Lopez. We've honored Ben Ipa. We, we're honoring Pat Ross in this year. Can you give me a, a short list of shapers? And in some regards, maybe you already have short list of shapers that you think deserve to be honored from the state of Hawaii. Yeah, I think God, it's so gnarly. There's, there's so many good guys here. And um, as yeah, it's crazy. There's so many good shapers. The North shore has, it, it's kind of slowing down with the amount of guys. It seems like around here now, but like, there's so many good shapers. It's, it's nuts. But the top of my list would be Glenn Pang, Dennis Pang, uh, no relation. Those yep. two. Yes. Um, Pat Rawson, Dick Brewer, obviously. Is we did Brewer. Like we did the, Brewer. Dick yeah. Brewer's, yeah. Um, Dennis and Glenn are both amazing. And then, like, for there's some town guys that are just insane too. Like I can't, there's so many guys, Yeah. but th those are my two top guys. I would say from yeah. th that make boards for the North shore a lot. Yeah. Glenn Pang has made boards for so many people. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, over the years, that guy has been incredible. Jeff Johnston yep. is fucking incredible. Like yeah. that guy, that guy was making when he was working for town and country where he's yeah. like making Johnny boys boards when Johnny boy was like the man at pipeline and, He's making Brian Kailana's boards. Yeah. All the, he's yeah. made stuff in the so 80s. many generations. Yeah. And I would say that guy is just unbelievable, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a guy here on the North Shore, Brett Marmoto, yep. who's like my age, who's, mm -hmm. he, you know, we're not, we're too young to be in that, <laughs> any of those groups, yeah. but like of the younger guys, and I'm freaking old, and but there's not really like that many guys underneath our age. It's kind of weird. But Brett is a really good shaper, super yeah. great guy too. Unreal. He made tons of boards. Derek Ho won, won the Pipe Masters to win the world title, first Hawaiian to win the world title on Brett's boards in 1993. Yep. Which is like I didn't even shape then. You know yep. what I mean? And he's like he was winning. Guys were winning world titles on his boards. He worked for Eric. Oh, Eric Arakawa, of course. Yeah. Eric. Unbelievable, insane, yeah. Yeah. like talented beyond belief, and yeah. just meticulous super 
Um, but that's, that's where Brett worked for Eric and got his skills from. Yeah. Um, uh, Brett made boards for Michael and Derek under the perfect lines label for a bunch of years in the early nineties, which was their label that they started for. I think they mostly sold them in Japan. Mm-hmm. He's a super talented guy. There's just there. And then there's like all these longboard shapers, you know, the guys that just are like more just longboard kind of guys and yeah, different yeah. things. But I'd say yeah. Eric, yeah. Eric, <laughs> Eric's gnarly. Yeah. Jeff Johnston, the two pangs. Yeah. Those guys are both insane. And right. Rawson, obviously. Yeah. That's a good list. It's a good list yeah. for me to, to dwell on. Oh, oh, Bushman. I don't think of him as Hawaiian shaper really somehow, but Bushman, yeah. of course, is gnarly. Yeah. Bushman had like Bushman would make like boards for Ross Clark Jones the night before the Eddie and he would <laughs> fucking win. You know what I mean? Like like yeah. he would shape it the day before and like force it his glasser would drop it off like at the bay at six in the morning and Ross would paddle out and like he won the eddy on that board, you know, like crazy shit. Bushy made, he was making step rail. I remember him making a step rail board, concave deck step rail board for Ross in like 95 probably. Killer. So yeah, he's yeah, gnarly. He's he made a lot of boards for Twiggy. He's made a lot of Twiggy's boards, big wave boards. Yeah. Bushman's a legend too. For, for sure. sure. He is. No, there's no. Poncho was on tour on Bushman's. Yeah. 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 Pretty nuts. Bushman. Yeah. Right, look, John Pizel, dude, thank you so much for spending yeah. the morning with me. And um, yeah, thanks, Scott. And I, hope, I like, I like we talked about some different stuff. It was good. Yeah, I stayed away from the whole JJF thing on purpose. Yeah, I like it. I didn't bring him up. In fact, you brought him up. I made note oh, of it. It's hard not to. Oh yeah. <laughs> In the show notes, you'll see John brings up JJ. Okay. <laughs> All right, boss. Look. All I'll right. T- I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No worries. I appreciate it too. And uh, have a great day. Okay, boss. Hopefully you get, wait, one last question for you. Yeah, buddy. When was your last surf? This morning. Oh, good. Yeah. I surfed on a little Wayne Rich 5.9 quad this morning. Oh, sick. Yeah. Probably okay. similar in some ways to the Astro, yeah, to the Astro Pop, I think, maybe. Oh, I'm yeah? Just, I'm just kind of riffing, but yeah. Wayne, Wayne's the man, huh? He's a classic, dude. I love that guy. All time. Are you going to be yeah. out here for the um, boardroom show? Yeah, when is that? September? October. Yeah, September. Thank you. September 25th and 26th. We've got um, a booth for you. I know Dan's involved, but I want to get you out here. Oh, yeah? No, yeah. I'd love to go. I'll, I'll just see what life is yeah. like. I don't, life's yeah. so weird these days with everything, you know? It's like, yeah. I feel like you can't commit to next week. No, it's strange. I hear you. I hear you. But yeah, no, it sounds great. I'd love to go check it out. All right. I'll always fun. You later. I'll roust you later on. All right. Right on, Scott. Thanks, John. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Okay.